Hi, it's Mike. And Angela. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about the name above all names, as well as what is Logos? And Muhammad Ali on an airplane. Welcome back to Table Talk with Mike and Angela. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Wait, is this the 11th word? I thought we were done last week. Should Spoo change the title of this book? Spoo says this is not an 11th word mind you, but a word that stands over and above the others. This word, he says, illuminates the other 749,999 words found in Scripture. It's a name, Jesus. Well, that makes sense. Think about the Hebrew Scriptures and how many words of communication and law that were given to God's people over and over and over again, and they still struggled to understand, or even sometimes struggled to even hear. You know, over and over again, we have this communication uh, that is opened up and lives are changed, and then how easily God is forgotten uh, by the people, and they turn off their ears, and God has to raise up new people, whether it be judges or kings or prophets. Over and over again, there is a communication problem between God and and his people. So God decided to speak in one loud and clear way in and through his son, Jesus. He, uh, Spoo, includes uh, a writing by Frederick Buechner, who, if you've ever read or studied anything of his, he does have this uh, unusual way of saying beautiful things, uh, but it's a different way of saying them. Uh, And in this writing... Uh, Beekner pictures God as the bard of creation and Jesus as his perfect poem. And it goes like this. God is poet, say, searching for the right word. Tries Noah, but Noah is a drinking man. And tries Abraham, but Abraham is a little too Mesopotamian and all those wives and whiskers. Tries Moses, but Moses himself is trying too hard. And David, too handsome for his own good. Elisha, who seeks the bears on the children, tries John the Baptist with his locust and honey, who might also have worked except for something small but crucial, like a sense of the ridiculous or a balanced diet. Word after word, God tries and then finally tries once more to say it right, to get it all into one final word, what he is and what human is and why the suffering of love is precious and how the peace of God is a tiger in the blood. God refuses to remain silent and when he speaks, He expresses himself with perfection and precision. And I think this is what the Gospel of John is is really trying to get at in the very first chapter of the Gospel. He he starts off by, by talking about Jesus as the Word 
of God. And in Greek, that is logos, the word logos. So, you know, just like um, we're hearing from Spoo and others in this book, Jesus is the complete transmission of God's own self to the entire world. Jesus is more than a symbol of God's love or even just a summary of God's love. Jesus is the total and complete package, the complete transmission, the fullness of what God is trying to get through to us. Yeah. And yet people were confused by and with Jesus. Spoo says that this word of confusion is, huh? Uh, <laughs> and the possible exception to this is the South. In Texas, particularly, huh, is trumped by the earthier expression, do what? So uh, and we can see that, right? As Jesus spoke, as Jesus turned things upside down, we, we can imagine people saying, huh, and do what? <laughs> Uh, Jesus was and is the Word of God. And even as he taught and explained the kingdom of God to people, many of them just couldn't grasp it, right? Uh, and so Jesus not only spoke as God, but he backed it up with the way he lived and acted. Uh, he spoke and demonstrated God's message to us. And I think that's that's really important for us to understand because, you know, normally when we think of the idea that Jesus is the word of God, the assumption is, is to listen to everything he says, right? Because he's obviously going to tell us what God said. I think about this in relation to Moses, about how, you know, Moses would go up to Mount Sinai, and he would talk to God, and then Moses would come back down the mountain, and he would say, mm -hmm. here's what God said, right. you know? Um, and, and in a sense, that's part of who Jesus is, uh, not really the messenger of it, but he's really the vocal expression of God. But at the same time, Jesus gives us more than just the words of God. He is the word of God. You know, we typically think of words as words on a page, black and white, or we think about the sounds that, you know, articulate uh, what the words are that are spoken from a mouth and sent to the ear. But think about how differently and completely we communicate. Not only do we communicate in the written word or in the spoken word, we often have facial expressions or body language that continue to communicate what we mean with our words. <laughs> I, I remember uh, a TV show from about a decade ago where uh, the characters in a friend group were always confused by another character who would pop into the storyline every now and then. And he seemed to be able to smile with his mouth and glare at them with his eyes at the same time. He conveyed radically different messages about his feelings toward them at the same time, simultaneous with, simultaneously with his face. You know, it just didn't really <laughs> jive. But that goes to show that with our eyes, we, com we communicate, with our mouth, we communicate, with the way we uh, position our hands and our arms or our feet, all of this communicates with more than words. <laughs> it even goes to love. Think about how we communicate love with more than words. We can say that we love someone, but then we back it up with physical touch, like a hug. We say it. Uh, with our words, but we also say it with the gleam in our eyes when we look at them. We say it with our words, but we also show it when we do acts of sacrifice or kindness for their sake. 
So Jesus is more than just the words spoken by God. He is the word. His words, his actions, his expressions, his literal presence is the total expression of God to us. Well, to the Hebrews, when they when they heard that phrase word, the word of God or logos, um, they would have immediately thought about creation, hmm. uh, about that story from Genesis, right? Um, the word points to creation itself, where God spoke the world and all of the universe into creation. Uh, but to the Greeks, word pointed to the sustaining of something. Um, Spoo reminds us that the ancient Greeks loved their philosophy. And this man named Heraclitus lived five centuries before Jesus. And he taught about the ever-changing world. In fact, he is the one who coined the phrase, if you've ever heard it, uh, you never step in the same river twice. So Heraclitus also speculated that there exists a mysterious force stronger than chaos holding creation together. And the word that Heraclitus used for this um, cosmic glue was, you guessed it, the word, the logos. The logos sustains the world and prevents total chaos from unraveling it all. And so Jesus is both creator and sustainer, the word of God. It's just so powerful. And it makes so much more sense that, you know, Jesus, this word of God is more than just the 11th word. He's not just an, you know, addition to the first 10 that right. Spoo put together, mm -hmm. but he is um, the fulfillment or the completeness of all the words spoken throughout the scripture. So before we go much further, because we can keep going, <laughs> let's go ahead and check in with JT and Stanley about another highlighted ministry. During the season of Advent, Bluff Park United Methodist Church is participating in our annual White Christmas Offering, which goes to benefit the United Methodist Children's Home of Alabama. If you want to give this year, uh, we have two different ways that you can give. You can give online at bluffparkumc.org, or you can write a check on Sunday mornings, and in the memo line, make sure that you write White Christmas, and it will be given to the United Methodist Children's Home. So thank you in advance for your giving, and happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Well, you know, part of being a parent is helping your children understand their roles and their responsibilities, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And a lot of times we end up saying the same things over and over and over again. I know that when my kids were a lot younger, I had to always remind them, brush your teeth, brush your teeth, you know, <laughs> floss, uh, pick up your toys. And I remember this precious moment where one of my kids uh, was sort of mimicking my wife, Julie, uh, and he, he, he literally was trying to become her. He had his shoes on his feet and he said, I'm mommy, brush your teeth, read your Bibles. <laughs> and, you know, it was the sense of that's what you always say. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, you know, when our children are young, Spoo says, we find ourselves saying the exact same words over and over again. Pick up your room, say please, stop fighting, you know, brush your teeth, <laughs> read your Bible. Yes. <laughs> our, our hope is that if we say it enough times, if we say it and say it and say it, then these instructions or these directions will become such a part of, of our children or these persons that they create healthy habits and normative actions, and they will just basically create this wonderful, clean, polite, emotionally <laughs> stable, you know, um, respectful yes. child that will never do anything yes. wrong ever again. <laughs> In a way, the fatherhood of God the, the parenthood of God in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, can be seen through that same lens. God, too, repeats word after word after word, time and time again. The same words, similar words to new generations over and over again. God gives them not only words, but directions to remember the things that God had said or did, whether it be, you know, massive rocks that are erected at special sites so that they would remember what happened there, or even sacred meals or festivals to help them remember what God had done. You know, over and over again, throughout scripture in the New Testament and the Old Testament, we hear things. Like Spoo says, are we in need of salvation? God speaks the name Jesus. As we grow and mature and for ourselves, what personality will develop? God speaks another name, the name of Jesus. When we're afraid, Jesus. Even when we feel life is unfair, God reminds us of the one who faces his own fears as he faced down his cross. Over and over again, whenever we have a need for explanation or direction or answers. God speaks the word Jesus. It makes me think a little bit about what children's church might be like when we ask those questions of the children. Who did this? Who did that? You know, these very, very basic questions. And almost every time the kids will say, Jesus, because that's supposed to be the right answer to everything. And it, in a way, is. You know, in a, another faith tradition, in our, in our Christian uh, family tree, the Eastern Orthodox Church has this beautiful practice of the Jesus prayer, modeled after the words of the blind beggar in Jericho. And it's just a beautiful, simple prayer. And it could be prayed, you know, over and over again. It can be prayed as we breathe in, as we breathe out. It can just be prayed in a multitude of different ways. And this is the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And if you think about how simple that prayer is um, and how Jesus is the Son of God, the Lord, who can have mercy on me, it makes so much sense that, you know, it, the more that we center our lives and our heart and our faith upon him, the more that that word has the Potential. And by word, I mean Jesus. The word of God, the son of God, Jesus himself has the potential to really transform us from the inside out. 
If God is indeed speaking the name of his son over and over again, what does it say that we would echo the name of Jesus back to him? If nothing else, we agree with God that the source of our salvation, the formation of our character, the facing of our fear, and a selfless life lived in a self-centered world finds its ultimate expression in the name of Jesus. And I think about how perfectly it is summed up, this idea that if we want to live the kind of life that God has for us, we are called to follow in the footsteps of his son, to take up our own cross and follow him. Or as Paul says, imitate Jesus. If you can't do that, imitate me, right? (laughs) You know, what we walk in the direction of that one word, that one name, Mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah. And if we really believe that, if we believe that Jesus is God's fullest and final word uh, to us, then that should evoke a response in us. And that begs the question, you know, what is our best response? And I'm sure there are many good responses to that, but Spoo suggests four for us. Uh, The first one, the first response that he suggests is passion. Um, and we know if we've lost our passion for something, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to continue on doing something that we've lost our passion for. It's also hard to manufacture passion without motivation to do so. Uh, he tells the story of Lisa Giardini, who was born like in 1490 or something like that, 1437, I don't know, way back there, right? Uh, And she, in the time that she was born, uh, it was kind of um, the thing for for women to be married very young. And so at 15, uh, she marries this much older gentleman who is a, a silk, he trades in silks and things. And she didn't bring a lot of resources to the marriage, like money or anything like that, but she was very beautiful. And uh, at the birth of their second child, her husband commissions a painting by a guy named Leonardo uh, to paint her. And, uh, of course, we have come to know that painting as the Mona Lisa. And uh, in 2005, there was this project uh, that was built around getting to know who Mona Lisa was. And so as they discovered all these facts and things about this Lisa Giardini, it kind of reignited passion about the painting, right? And Spoo says that... um, we can grow our passion for Jesus in much the same way. That when we set out to learn all that we can about Jesus, when we set out to know who Jesus really is, uh, then as we discover or rediscover who Jesus is and begin to notice his presence in our lives, then our passions will begin to grow as well. The second response he mentions is humility, and it works well with passion in that it keeps our passion in proper perspective. You know, too much passion can result in pride uh, and then can be 
used to judge others or wound others. And so humility helps us keep that in check. The only time that Jesus describes his own personality to his followers, he makes it clear that humility is the center of his identity. In Matthew, he says, I am lowly and humble in heart. And then, too, if you think about the incarnation of Jesus, uh, it itself is an act of humility. Though Jesus was God, Jesus puts on human flesh so that, like you said, God can clearly communicate his love for us. Uh, And so if the one we call Lord is willing to embrace such humility, should we not, as his followers, do the same? And imagine, just imagine what a difference it would make if the whole world, or if just the followers of Jesus, embraced humility. You know, instead of hating our enemies, we would serve them. Instead of expecting others to pick up after us, we would pick up after them. Uh, we would recognize, the, as Spoo says, the small people, because in Christ we know that there are no small people. Everyone has sacred worth, sacred value. There's a story of Muhammad Ali, which is really funny. Um, he was on an airplane experiencing turbulence, and the flight attendant, just doing her job, came along, and she asked him to buckle up his seatbelt. And very loud and boastfully, as we we remember Muhammad Ali to be at times, uh, he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And without missing a beat, the attendant shot back, and Superman don't need no airplane. Uh, Thank goodness Ali had a a good sense of humor, and he laughed, and he buckled up his seatbelt. None of us are Superman. Right There is only one, and he is the Word. We are his servants. And God forbid that we would ever see ourselves as superior to the one we have promised to serve. And and yet sometimes we act that way, don't we? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, (laughs) instead of humility, we think we know better than Jesus. Of course. (laughs) And we do the opposite things. You know... Maybe that's kind of related to the third response that Spoo mentions, and that's urgency. In a way, our uh, not paying attention to the commands of Jesus is a way of kind of putting off, uh, procrastinating what we think is probably less important to us right now, but it really isn't. We need to have more urgency. Just as humility balances the pride that passion can produce, Urgency counters the passive tendencies of humility. Instead of sort of accepting the status quo of my relationship with God, urgency says, I need to do something. I need to to spend more time in Bible study. I need to do more in prayer. I need to, you know, curate a lifestyle that helps me best encounter God. You know, urgency says, I know that it's Sunday morning and it's cold outside and I just want to stay, you know, in my pajamas all day and watch worship online. But no, I need to get to church. I need to be in my Sunday school class or, or small group. I need to be around other Christians and be very present in the sanctuary or chapel or place that I worship. You know, all of this 
is a good thing. Urgency tells us that we've got to take every opportunity that comes our way. We've got to respond because God is giving us uh, stepping stones along the way to grow closer to him. He's giving us opportunities uh, to transform our life. And, you know, urgency might mean inspiration to eliminate habits that stop us along our way or hinder our personal holiness. Um, there are ways in which, you know, we're, we're experiencing or have experienced roadblocks to growing in our faith, whether that's, you know, the work of, of, of evil against us or whether that's just kind of the way that we, you know, gravitate towards comfort and, uh, and easy living. I don't know. But at the same time, urgency tells us that when we hit those roadblocks or temptations to take it easy, urgency says, hey, we need to persevere. We need to keep going. We need to take this seriously. You know, we've got to practice being aware of God's presence always. And so we need to have urgency to anticipate or look for God's presence. And this is something that uh, Brother Lawrence talked about, uh, this uh, saint that came many, many, many years before us, who believed that God was always present in everything and everywhere. It is we who are typically absent, absent-minded, absent spiritually, uh, as we sort of correct this and we take the presence of God seriously, we start to center ourselves in God's presence within us. We begin to notice God's presence around us. We start to really understand how everything is connected together. And through all that and sensing all that, it can give us the sort of holy urgency and motivation we need to enjoy the task before us because it's no longer a thing we have to do, but it is a holy opportunity. You know, sometimes coming up to the church and packing a lot of bags of groceries can seem like a redundant task. But if we can practice the presence of God in every can of beans, every jar of tomato sauce that we put into a bag, think about that. That is God present and active using the locomotion of our bodies to provide food and hope to other people. We can miss that very moment if we're not careful. And then the fourth response that Spoo talks about is wholehearted surrender. Wow, this one <laughs> is tough. There are times that we forget to reference God. There are times that we forget that God is with us. There are times that we seriously don't consider what God would have us do or wants us to do. You know, in a way, this is sort of the uh, either choice or uh, subconscious choice that I want to be in charge. The word, Jesus, reminds me that he is infinitely bigger than I am or you are. His life, his sacrificial death, um, all of that, his resurrection, 
reminds me that he is the great one. He is infinite. We're not the center of the world. God is. I am not able to help myself, but God is a helper and a friend. He's a provider. Jesus creates us and sustains us. Our only fit response is to surrender wholeheartedly to him. Because if he is the very center of things, and if he's the only one that can give our lives purpose and meaning and blessedness, then we need to surrender to him because it will be infinitely better than anything we try to muster up. Mm-hmm. Well, let's consider for a final time. I can't believe we're almost to the end here. Um, let's consider for a final time the words that have served to illuminate scripture for us over these past few weeks. We had light and dust breath, garden, river, eat, alone, naked, afraid, and today, sweat. Behind each word remains the intimate presence of Jesus. Uh, And beyond each term, Jesus reveals himself as that world's ultimate meaning. The name of Jesus reigns eternal for us, and his name is language's highest use and grandest purpose. All other words bow before the singular and infinite word that God longs to receive from every one of us, and that is the name of Jesus. And so, you know, here at the end, I think our prayer must be, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Such a great way to end our conversation that we've been having with uh, Spoo's book over the past few months. It's It's all been about the 10 words. It's all been about what God did and what God said and how it ties together throughout Scripture. We were reminded from day one that God has spoken and is still speaking. And so your prayer suggestion is perfect. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. This book has been helpful to me, and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm hoping helpful to all the people that have listened to remind us that, you know, Jesus is the word. God is the author of creation and life, and that every moment God is speaking into our lives. And we just need to commit to, if nothing else, at the very beginning, being a listening people. So one more time, we're going to kick it over to JT and Stanley for some closing thoughts. Today's broadcast is brought to you by electricity. Benjamin Franklin invented it, Thomas Edison perfected it, and I use it to charge my toothbrush. Electricity. Well, Angela, this has been a long journey through the entire Bible, uh, but summed up in the 10 words that Spoo sort of laid out for us, including, of course, that big final word, and that is this, Jesus is the word of God. 
Yes, he is the ultimate and complete expression of God and his love for us. Um, I love the way that Brian Zahn says it uh, in his book, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. He says that Jesus is what God said. That's the truth. Period. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, friends, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this series of uh, Table Talk with Mike and Angela, and we'll be working on some more content in the future, and hopefully you'll stick around and join us as we go into brand new conversations together.